so Jesus would tell these little stories, and they always had this, they have, he told them for a reason. My dad was like that, he would tell these little stories, and so he would tell these stories, and this one is incredibly complicated, and um, it, it's basically about a manager who, he's either embezzling, or he is uh, uh, not good at his job, and he gets fired, and behind his boss's back, he decides he's going to reduce everybody's bill, which he has no right to do. And this is, he doesn't even work for the guy anymore. And then at the end of it, the, the manager uh, is commended uh, by his boss. The, the guy just cheated the dude out of money, and he's commended by his boss. It's really sort of difficult. Uh, now, there's a simple explanation, Mark. You want to come up? And uh, uh, it's really not that complex. See... The, the parable is called uh, the parable of the shrewd manager. In Scripture, it tells us to be, Jesus one time said, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. And so there is a notion around, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be naive. And I think this story sort of dispels that. It's like you can be, uh, you can be worldly... Um, uh, uh, intellectual you can kind of you need to know what's going on and that's sort of the gist of the parable we're going to talk about it a little more uh, let me tell you this story there was a, a a man his name was Morris and he goes to his son his 20 something year old son who's unmarried and he says more uh, he says son I, I have picked out for you the girl you need to marry <laughs> and the guy's like well dad I'd like to pick out my own bride and he said no this is Elon Musk's daughter and the dude said, I'm in. And then the guy, Morris, goes to Elon Musk. And he says, uh, Elon, I have the guy that your daughter needs to marry. And Elon Musk says, well, but my daughter will want to pick whoever she wants to marry. And the guy goes, but wait a minute. This young man is vice president of the World Bank. And Elon Musk said, oh, well, then we're in. And so then Morris, the dad, goes to the president of the World Bank and he says, I have a young man who probably you're going to want to be your vice president. And the president said, well, I already have a vice president. And the guy goes, yeah, but this is Elon Musk's future son-in-law. See, really smart people will get that story. Okay, uh, it's, it's like being shrewd, right? You've got to be shrewd with stuff. And so there's this, this really quirky little story found in Luke 16 and... We're going to kind of break it down as we go. The setup is this. Jesus tells his disciples, it's really important to understand, Jesus sometimes talks to the Pharisees, he sometimes talks to the religious leaders, he sometimes talks to everybody. In this particular case, he's talking specifically, directly to his disciples. And he said there was a rich man whose, man, uh, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Now, some of us have had these conversations before. Some of us have been on the receiving end of these conversations before. You can no longer work for me. That's not very nice. It's not a good uh, situation to be in. In fact, there was a whole television show about that with Trump a long time ago where he'd say, you're fired. And this is kind of the situation with this particular manager. He's called in and he's told, you can no longer work for me anymore. Now, it's interesting to me that in this story, Jesus doesn't have the manager like defending himself. He doesn't really even say anything. 
And there's sort of, um, if I don't talk, I can't get in more trouble, sort of an idea around the way Jesus tells the story. Um, there's something to be said for having street smarts. And, and so this guy kind of has street smarts. It's like if you're a parent and you're upstairs and you hear this expensive sort of shattering sound downstairs where the kids are, and you yell down the stairs and you say, what happened? What do kids always say? Nothing, that's right, because they're street smart. What are they going to say? We just broke your, expensive, uh, broke your expensive vase. I mean, they're not going to say that. And so this guy sort of keeps to himself. He doesn't, he doesn't admit anything. He, he just sort of sits there and takes it. And then verse 3. The manager says to himself, what shall I do now? He faces this dilemma. Okay, now here's the situation in front of me. I've been fired, and I've got to do something. So he begins to think of his options. He says to himself, well, uh, I'm not strong enough to dig. And maybe he was a little older, you know. Uh, I, I can feel his pain there. Uh, there's some stuff I don't physically want to do anymore. I, I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. I get that too. And, and he's sort of, he's running through the options. He's facing reality, and he's running through the options. What? can I do with my life now that I'm going to be fired? I mean, his resume would be horrible, wouldn't it? Hey, I just got fired for embezzlement. I mean, I, I don't know what you put on your resume to make that sound good. <laughs> By the way, I, I was reading about some uh, examples from Career Builder about people who <laughs> who put these things on their, uh, on their resumes. Uh, this one, this one cracks me up. Um, under skills, this, this, uh, this person wrote, strong work ethic, attention to detail, Team player, self-motivated, attention to detail. <laughs> Why interested in position? This is great. To keep my parole officer from putting me back in jail. That's honest. <laughs> One secretarial candidate under skills section misspelled the word proofreading. <laughs> <laughs> then it's not a skill, uh, is it? So I could dig. I could beg. And, and then this, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like the guy has an aha moment. I know. It's like, you know, the light switch goes off. Oh, I know what I'll do. Uh, so when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So he's saying to himself, okay, I, I've been fired, but nobody yet knows I've been fired. I mean, the, the, the people who have a debt with my owner, they don't know I've been fired. They still think I'm functioning in the position I've been functioning in as manager. And so he devises a plan that's based on everybody not knowing he's been fired yet. And so this is what he plans to do. He's going to call in all the debtors and he's going to reduce their bill. L look at how he does it. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. Now, two are mentioned here. The implication is there were many. It's just sort of an example of how he did this. And no greeting. Typically, you'd start with some small talk. But this guy's in a hurry because nobody yet knows he's been fired. And he needs to get this done uh, as soon as he can. And the idea for him is, if I scratch their back, if I reduce their bill, then eventually they'll scratch my back quid pro quo I'm gonna do something good for them and then eventually they'll have to or they'll feel compelled to do something good for me and so he asked the first one really quickly how much do you owe my master 
900 gallons of olive oil, he replies. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Cuts it in half. That's quite a savings. I'm no mathematician, but that's like 50% off. That's really good. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800, a reduction of 20%. And so he does this with all of the debtors. He calls them in, he calls them in quickly, he does it all uh, quickly. And he says, hey, um, let's reduce your bill. And he does it for every one of the debtors. And this is the surprising part of the parable, the very next verse. Because... We look at this and we think to ourselves, okay, well, Jesus is certain to condemn this activity. I mean, surely Jesus is going to say, thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not embezzle, or thou shalt not uh, act like you're the manager when you're not. (laughs) But that's not what he says at all. In fact, the next verse says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He, He had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus sort of makes the point. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. Now, it's interesting, this story, but it does make sense if you understand the way Jewish thought often worked. There's a principle called going from light to heavy. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in the parable of the widow and the the persistent widow and the uh, unjust judge. And if you'll recall that story, the widow went to him over and over again, and it says about the judge, he didn't fear God or people, but he gave her what she wanted because she kept coming to him. And, And so going from light to heavy, what Jesus would do is he would say, hey, if this unjust judge, if he would do the right thing, well, how much more would God do the right thing? How much more? So this is that kind of, hey, if you're commended for being shrewd, how much more if you face reality the right way? See, this guy, he did four things. Really important. I'm glad the graduates are here today because this sort of summarizes how you deal with life. The first thing he did was he took an honest look at reality. We have this tendency to not do that. Uh, hope is not a strategy, but a lot of people, that's all they have is, I'm, I hope that goes away, or I hope this doesn't happen. He took an honest look at reality. My master is taking away my job, and it's always the first thing you have to do. Look, when you're in school, you're going to have professors you don't like, or assignments you don't understand, or whatever happens to you going forward. In life, you're going to have you know, things that, gas prices you can't handle or a job that's not good. or there, There's going to be issues in every one of our lives. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. No, we don't get out of that. But the first step is, okay, I'm going to step away and I'm just going to look at reality. What is the situation I'm in? And that's what he did. The second thing is, you take responsibility. He said, my manager... Uh, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? I take responsibility. Now, this guy had cheated or hadn't been good at his job, so he got fired. We want to blame other people for stuff, and maybe it's not even his fault. Maybe those are false accusations. It doesn't change the reality. The reality might be, okay, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm still having to pay. Still the reality. You, you face the reality, and then you, if, if it was something you did, you take responsibility for it, And then the third thing is he 
came up with a concrete, doable plan. This is what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. It wasn't some far-fetched sort of wish. Uh, I have a plan, and I know what I'm going to do. And the fourth thing is he worked the plan. And he called each one of them in individually. He did it one by one, but he did it quickly. He came up with a plan. He faced reality. He took responsibility. He came up with a plan. He worked the plan. And this is what Jesus is commending. He commends us when we're willing to face reality the way reality really is. I need to be willing to face the situation in front of me. Because Jesus knows we have a tendency, a propensity, to deny rather than face reality. He knows we have a propensity to avoid rather than accept responsibility. He knows we have a propensity to wish rather than develop a, a, a concrete plan. He knows we have a propensity to procrastinate rather than to take action. And so the truth of the matter is, the true question is, who's willing to face reality? Because somebody's got to do it. I read this cute story. If you don't mind, I'm going to read it to you. One night recently at around 1.30 a.m., my wife Annie and I were in bed when we heard a very bad sound, the unmistakable sound of a child losing a battle with an explosively unset, uh, upset stomach and not making it to the bathroom on time. Anybody ever felt that? Me either. Uh, reality erupts all over the carpet, the walls, the doors, the floorboards, from bed to hallway to bathroom, and the carpet upstairs is white. Reality, which consists mostly of raspberries and high C fruit punch, was a vibrant red. Annie and I are in bed facing a moment of truth. Who will get up and face reality? And who will do their best job of pretending to be in stage four REM sleep so they don't have to get up? <laughs> My favorite line in this whole story. Maybe if we both just lay there, the upset stomach fairies will come and clean it all away. <laughs> Thankfully, Annie got up first. <laughs> every guy, you know, every guy's like, yeah. But a few seconds later, I sprang out of bed, mostly because my wife had seen reality and came back in the bedroom. She threw off the sheets, opened the windows, and was bouncing up and down on the bed, yelling at me, spring out of bed, spring out of bed. We went the next five hours dealing with reality from one little child multiple times in multiple forms. Reality hit the fan. And we were still dealing with reality when the sun came up. About 6.30 a.m., I had to leave my wife and sick child to go to work. I have never been so thankful for a job in my whole entire life. That night, I said to Annie, I'll take the other kids. I know it's been a horrible day for you, so do whatever you want to do. Uh, stay home, go out, anything. Uh, I'll take the other healthy kids out, and you can just rest. And she was amenable to this. So, I'm in the car. After dinner, and another child says to me in the car, Daddy, my stomach feels funny. And gives me an odd-sounding little cough. I've heard that sound before, he says. Unless you watch Formula One races regularly, you have never seen a car pull off a road so fast in your entire life. And there was a major protein spill right there on the side of the highway. Here's the question. Who's going to face reality? I love that line. Maybe, maybe the throw-up fairies will come and clean it all away. And you know, we do that. I mean, we lay there and we think, oh, uh, that sound, <laughs> maybe that wasn't anything. Maybe I just dreamed that because we're hoping it's not true. But here's the truth. 
problems rarely just disappear on their own. They, they can, but it's rare. My daddy used to say to me, stuff don't heal itself. There are times when you just have to face reality and you have to make, make adjustments. You have to figure things out. You have to fix things. And so when Jesus is telling his parable, he uses the word shrewdly. Uh, uh, the master commended his dishonest manager because he was shrewd. Uh, Jesus said this, I, I mentioned it earlier, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. He's talking to Christians. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as gentle as doves. The word, there's a couple words for wisdom in Scripture or shrewdness. Uh, one is Sophia. Uh, it sort of has a spiritual tone to it. The other one is the one that's used here, uh, pronomos. And it kind of has this idea that you are street smart wise. Not just sort of spiritual wise, but street smart wise. And we see pictures, and anytime you see a picture of Jesus, it's usually like this, and he's looking off into the distance, and he looks a little naive and, and gentle, and he was all these things. But Jesus had this ability to know exactly what his mission was, and to still remain calm. He faced reality. He knew what was coming, and yet he was able to deal with it perfectly and succinctly, and he managed his life in a, in a way he was, he was never naive. He faced reality. He talked about folks. I mean, he picked 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him. He knew who was going to betray him. He, he, he knew these things. And yet, even in the midst of that, he didn't freak out. Look, Jesus knew, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. This was his job. Jesus one time said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. He wasn't manipulated by his moods. He did what he was called to do. He faced reality and he did what he was called to do. He was shrewd and innocent at the same time. Now, people of faith have this tendency to sort of spiritualize things. We sort of spiritualize. And so, we don't really want to face reality, so we'll spiritualize stuff. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. When it comes to our character or our personality, we'll spiritualize things. And, and so... I've seen this happen. There's a person and they are negative and um, kind of rude and just sort of hard to get along with. And they'll be in church. They're church people and they're rude and negative and nobody kind of... Uh, for a while, people will hang out with them, but eventually they, you just gravitate away from that. It's just sort of human nature. And they'll change from this church to this church. And they'll be rude and they'll you know, uh, kind of take advantage of people and, and uh, be kind of negative. And then they'll go to that church and then people will start gravitating away from them too. And they'll say things like, well, this is church. Everybody ought to love everybody. It's like, okay, okay. But we have some responsibility in how people handle us. Maybe if we weren't as rude or maybe if we weren't as negative. Than people, or maybe we, if we didn't gossip all the time, people would tell us stuff. I mean, facing reality in our own character and our own personality says, okay, I need to take an honest look at myself. As a parent, maybe your kids aren't wanting to hang out with you anymore. Well, it could just be they're getting older or whatever, but it might be maybe you've made promises that you didn't keep. 
And they don't trust you anymore. And facing reality is, okay, to win my kids' trust again, I'm going to have to do some things, I'm going to have to say some things, and then follow through with what I say. I'm going to have to live up to my word. For some of us, facing our character personality issues might be an admission, okay, I've got an addiction. I've got, um, I've got some problems here. I, I'm, I struggle with, you know, with my finances or I struggle with gossip or uh, there's some stuff. And here's what we all need in our lives. Everybody needs this. We need somebody that will tell us the truth. And you need somebody you're willing to be told the truth from. See, you might have somebody in your life willing to tell you the truth, but if you won't take it, then it doesn't do any good. I, t- I talked about my wife, first service. Miriam attends first service, and then she serves in children's ministry, second service. And every time Min- Miriam is here, first service, after the service, I try to take a minute to talk to her after the service so she can tell me what I did well and what I didn't do well on, on the first service. She's really good about that. Now, I didn't always like that, because who wants to be told they're not doing a good job? But eventually I got to a place of maturity where I could say, Miriam, tell me the truth. Tell me, did that joke bomb, or was it just everybody else isn't funny? You know, uh, uh, it's uh, surely not me, it's them. Uh, uh, what about that story? Did that story make the point I wanted it to make? Did you get it? And she'll tell me stuff like, slow down. Or she'll say, you read the verse too fast. Slow down on that verse a little bit. I love that she tells me the things I need to do to be better. And we all need somebody in our lives to keep us in check a little bit on our character and our personality. Uh, as, a, as a mom, she's had to tell me sometimes, you're, you're being too hard on the girls. You're being too hard. Don't do that. You're being, you're, you're being way too hard on them. Now, I'm a dad. I'm a dad of daughters, and, and I, don't always, I don't always get the daughter stuff. And so Miriam gets it. She tells me the truth. And there are times... I remember once, only one time in 30-something years of marriage, I had to tell her something. It was great. Uh, uh, I forget what it was. It was like, you're not doing that right. Um, it was awesome. Uh, everybody needs somebody to tell them the truth. Which kind of brings me to the second point. The second one is in relationships. In relationships. This is how it plays out most often in my life. You'll be in conversation with a young lady, and she's sort of hanging out or she's dating a guy and and she'll say this is how you spiritualize it she'll say this um the lord just hasn't led me to break off this relationship the lord just hasn't led me to now uh here's between the lines what she's saying um i'm getting older and i feel like he's my last best chance to get married and sure, he's non-committal and he's not, a, uh, he's not a Christian, but I'm hanging on to him like stink on roadkill. Uh, and I am not going to let him go. Now, we don't say that because that doesn't sound spiritual. We like the whole spirit. Uh, the Lord hasn't led me to break off this relationship. Well, okay, but the Bible says stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. So the Lord has told you, you just aren't listening. We want to spiritualize everything. Garrison Keillor was a comedian from years of old, and he used to write about um, 
a guy named Pastor uh, Ingvist, and he writes about this story about this guy, this pastor. He writes this, The poor old guy was in his study paging through Leviticus when the doors fly open and a teenage girl in a tank top burst in, weeping with passion for an older married felon three times her age. What is the good reverend to do? Poor man, things are fairly clear to him the moment before, and now, poor, now this girl pours out her love for Vince, her belief in his innocence, and the fact that his wife never really loved him, not like she, Trish, could love him, and the fact that despite his age and they've never met, except in letters, there's something indescribably sacred and precious between them. And all pastor can think is, you are being ridiculous. Thou shalt not be ridiculous. And uh, there are times when you just want to say, that is just not smart. This verse, I love the word in this verse. See then that you walk circumspectly. It's not a word we use very much. I'll define it in just a second. Not as foolish, but as wise. Walking circumspectly is this. It's when you see the situation and you play the movie forward. If I do this, this is where it's going to lead. If I start down this path, that's where I'm going to end up. It's self-talk. When you say to yourself things like, Oh, if I continue to date this girl with loose morals, it's not going to be long before I'm a baby daddy. It's that kind of conversation you have with yourself. It's the conversation that says, Oh, if I continue to spend every penny I make and don't save anything, then when there's a financial emergency, it's a good chance I'm going to go bankrupt. It's, it's the self-talk that says, Oh, if I keep taking two-hour lunch breaks and don't do my work, my, my, my boss might fire me. It circumspectly means I'm going to look at my pattern and see where it's taken me. Where is this path going to lead? Because the wise person is circumspect and they say to themselves, well, I don't want to end up there. And if I don't want to end up there, I'm not going to start the path here because this path takes me there. That's what being circumspect is. In relationships, some of us have unresolved conflict. And we've just kind of, we've hoped that the conflict fairy would come along and make it all right. And the Bible tells us that we resolve conflict. We go to people with whom we have conflict. We do it uh, peacefully. We do it with the, uh, in, lovingly. We do it with the ambition of restoration. But we just don't leave it out there. We, we take care of it. For some of us as parents, it's, we have a child and we need to have a conversation with them because we've been, pulling, we've been pulling back from that. And they're walking down the path and they're not being circumspect and we need to help them with that just a little bit. A, a third area that we get all spiritual is on vocation. We, we act as if... I, I had a professor, this always drove me crazy, in, in uh, college, I had a professor and he said um, he never applied for a job he had this job, but he said, once I got this job, I've never applied to any other jobs because I feel like if God wants me in a different place, he'd put me there. And so he never developed a resume. He never sent out any uh, inquiries. He never developed any networking or anything like that. He just assumed that being passive was a guarantee of God's will. Passivity isn't a guarantee of God's will. Try that with food. Well... Uh, I, I, I want to eat, but uh, I'm not going to buy any groceries. I'm not going to go to any restaurants, and I'm not going to order any food, but I'm going to sit at the table, and if God wants me to eat, He'll provide food for me, because that's how that goes. And it's, it's, 
It's ridiculous. We, we have a responsibility to try things, to develop plans, even if the plan isn't working. It's rarely God's will for our lives to be passive. There are times when He says, wait. And for some of us who are get-things-done kind of guys, sometimes God has to say, wait. But even in the waiting, we're working, we're thinking, we're planning. Just to be passive? I don't think so. I think God wants us to take an initiative. He wants us to develop a plan, use judgment, take responsibility. We try the plan. If the plan didn't work, then we learn from our mistakes. There are times... <laughs> I mentioned my dad a minute ago. Um, Daddy was a mechanic. He was, he, was, he was a truck driver by profession, but he was a mechanic by hobby. And so he would rebuild antique automobiles. And he wanted me to help him, and I'm, I'm a punk, you know, I'm a punk teenager, and I don't want to help him. And so I'm out in the garage, and he wants me to help him. And, and I remember one time, he's, he's on a creeper. Everybody knows what a creeper is, right? That's that little thing you roll under the car. And uh, it's also people that stalk other folks, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, he's on this little board, and he's, he's uh, kind of rolling under the car. And he's under there, and he says to me, hey, can you hand me a 916th wrench? I don't know a 916th wrench from anything. I don't know what it's... I mean, I'm, look, I'm, I'm over there looking at the tools. I'm just looking at them. I'm not touching anything. And Daddy says to me from under the car, hand me anything, I might be able to make it work. <laughs> and I think there's a principle of God might be able to make that decision work. And, and in, in our work lives, maybe we're, we, we need to remember this verse, whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts. I mean, maybe some of us in vocation, maybe we're not doing it the best we can. Uh, maybe we have a negative attitude. Because the verse doesn't say, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as long as you're getting paid enough, or you're being appreciated. Because that's, that's how we spiritualize. Well, I'm not going to give my best because I'm not getting paid enough. I'm not going to give my best because they don't appreciate me around here. I'm not going to give my best because of whatever, you know. I don't like my coworkers. Doesn't say that. There's no, there's no escape clause. You do your best. Now, for some, it, it's not the issue at all. You're working too hard. You're, you're a workaholic, and you need to be home with your family a little bit. See, our vocations, we spiritualize stuff. Well, I've got to provide for my family. Well, yeah, but there's more than just financial provision. Maybe you're working too much. You need to be home and, and uh, tending to your kids and developing relationships with them. The last one is finances. This is a good one. Sometimes it's, it's debt, or I've, I've got this spending pattern, or I've got materialism. And well, this is how the, this is spiritualized. Well, uh, I need that 17,000 square foot home to entertain for Jesus. If I had a 17,000 square foot home, I could entertain for Jesus. What we really mean is, if I have a 17,000 square foot home, people will think I've really accomplished something in my life. They'll think I'm somebody. See, James knew what Jesus knew when he said, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? James knew what Jesus knew, and that is we have a tendency to, to spiritualize and talk and not do. So the parable of the shrewd manager is Jesus is commending this guy for accepting reality as it is, 
taking responsibility for his own actions, developing a plan, working the plan. If you would do that in life, if we'll do that in life, it all ends up in the right spot. And then there's one last thing, and I want to end with this. The manager was banking on the generosity of the owner. Because he was forgiving debts, he didn't have the, uh, the uh, uh, rights to forgive. Now, can you imagine this scene? He's forgiving all this debt. They all go to the city square. They're all chatting it up. Hey man, do you, can you imagine, can, can you believe that the, the owner forgave half of my bill? The, other, the owner forgave 20% of my bill. Oh, the owner forgave 35% of my bill. And they're all talking about it and they're all talking wonderfully about the owner. And even though the owner had nothing to do with it, there's this sort of celebration around the owner's generosity. And the owner now has two options. He can go back to these people and say, hey, wait a minute. I need every penny you owe me. The manager, he didn't have the rights. Or, and this is what the manager was banking on, the owner lets it be. He allows his generosity to be um, lauded, even though it wasn't his idea. And even at the end of the story, Jesus is saying, this is what God is like. He's the one who's quick to forgive, who's happy to accept a little less. See, we have a debt that we can't owe, I mean that we can't pay. And yet Jesus takes that debt away. It is a beautiful story even about that. And so as we close, the Lord wants us to look at reality Clearly, honestly, okay, well, this is the situation. How would God want me to proceed? What, what would be the thing that I need to do? I don't, I'm not spiritualizing anything. I'm going to do it the way God wants me to do it, even if it makes uh, it difficult for me for a while. Maybe I have to be honest for the first time in a long time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message, for what you've given us today. Um, your words, this parable. Jesus told these great stories. Thank you, Lord, for these that we are able to look at them. Help us to be people who are shrewd in life, but gentle. We're wise, but loving. Help us to behave the way Jesus behaved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.